0: We are so glad that all of you are here this morning. We are doing our second week of our new series, um, and it is called Not Alone. Uh, If you didn't get to hear last week's sermon, I would suggest going back and listening to the podcast of it. I find it to be important. But last week, we talked about how through any struggle that we have in life, we're not alone. This week, we're going to talk about God's attitude towards us. Uh, One of my biggest struggles that I have faced in life is feeling like I need to earn God's love. And my being depressed and anxious somehow meant that God was unhappy with me. Now, you may not have that specific set of circumstances, but it may be something else. Maybe you lost a job or there's an illness or uh, whatever else you may be able to place in that part in your life. Maybe you've had something not go quite right and it's led you to believe that maybe you are not in God's favor. that thought process, as we will see today, is wrong. It's, it's corrupt. It's a thought process that Satan loves for us to have, but one that we shouldn't be anywhere near as Christians. We are made new creations in Christ, and we are accepted by God. But the truth of the matter is, before we ever reach that point, God desires us. God wants to be in relationship with us, and God loves us despite of the fact that we are imperfect. The first thing I want you all to know... But if if we're looking at our points today, is that we don't do anything to gain the acceptance of God. We look at Second Corinthians chapter five verses seven through seventeen and eighteen. It says that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this from God who reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and gave us. The Ministry of Reconciliation See, the, the scripture makes it abundantly clear that we are reconciled with God through Christ Jesus. There's nothing that we do or don't do that influences the mind of a God. Our actions don't determine where we stand with Him. The one action that did was the action of Jesus, which is him dying on the cross. So there's nothing that we did or can do that are going to influence our standing with God. It's all about our relationship with Jesus because Jesus paid that price. Jesus did the one action that was required for us to be reconciled with him. Yet for so many Christians, including me at times, we act as if with each sin and with each success, God's mind changes about how he feels about us. When we're doing well, when we're living the way we are supposed to, when we seem to have a grasp and a handle on the day-to-day, we think God is pleased with us. When we start struggling with sin and things aren't going well, we flip and say, well, God must not be happy with me right now. And we equate those two things as God's heart. Ironically, ironically, that's a pretty prideful view of ourselves, to think that we sway the heart, the mind, and the will of God in that way. See, our actions don't inspire God to have interaction with us. Our interaction with God inspires our actions. And that's an important distinction that we have to make. Our actions do not inspire God to interact with us. He wants us no matter what. I preached at a youth camp about two weeks ago. And one of the things I was wanting the kids to understand and, and wanted the kids to learn is that we are Jesus's treasure, right? I made the statement that whatever we make number one in our life, whatever we make most important is the thing that we chase. Well, for Jesus, that's us. He left heaven, the very place that he said that we should give up everything to obtain so that we could be there with him. Why? Because we are his treasure. And Jesus' heart mimics the heart of God. God wants you, okay? If you have never heard anybody say that before, if you aren't feeling that way this morning, if you have faced times in your life when you haven't felt that way before, understand this, God wants you, okay? Regardless of the sin in your life, regardless of where you came from, regardless of how many times you screw up along the way, God's heart is still with you. He still wants you. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. James two fourteen through 17 This is a verse that a lot of people say, they read Ephesians 2, 8-9, and they say, Yeah, but look at this. James two fourteen through 17 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. These two things don't contradict one another. They build on one another. See, the first thing that we need to know is that there is nothing that we do that obtains salvation. Why? Because God doesn't want us to have something to boast about. There's nothing in that action that we can say, we did it, we saved ourselves. No, it's only through the love and the sacrifice of Jesus. But if we are to really have a relationship with Jesus, if we've experienced that connection with him and that relationship with him, then the works are there. Because our interaction with Jesus influences our actions. But there's nothing about the actions that we have done that inspires God or Jesus to be in relationship with us. And so you don't sway, and I don't sway, we don't sway the mind of Jesus on every little sin or every success. It doesn't work like that. Okay, I remember when I was in high school, there was major campaign, and I forget who, I think it was George Bush and John Kerry, and the big term that came out was flip-flop, Right? He's a flip-flopper. He flip-flopped, like there were t-shirts made. I'm not a flip-flopper, whatever that means. God is not a flip-flopper, okay? He doesn't flip and then flop and then flip and then flop back and forth based on how you behave. He loves you. He loves you. Does that excuse our sin? No, it does not, If we sin, we should stop sinning, okay? And we're going to get to that. If we sin, we should stop sinning. But if we are in a relationship with Jesus, if he is our personal Lord and Savior, what you need to understand is that the good in your life and the bad in your life does not reflect God's feelings for you, okay? It does not reflect... God's feeling for you and it does not influence God's feelings for you because God doesn't define us according to our sin. Now I look at two major characters in the Bible when I think about this, right? That God doesn't define us according to our sin. That's Paul the apostle and that's King David. And they kind of have those two realms of life that we really think about. Paul had about the worst start imaginable, okay? Paul was Saul, killer of Christians, like he was on his, his life mission was to wipe out Christians by force. He was a mass murderer. And that didn't change until he had a one-on-one meeting with God that left him blind. Right? But he had the worst start imaginable. Even he talks about it. First Timothy 1, 15 through 16. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That's Paul talking about himself. Of all the sin that's in the world, he is staking claim to the fact that his is the very worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. How many of us hold on to the fact that Jesus has immense patience? patience with us, right? Immense patience with us. He's not flying off the handle at every mistake, okay? And when we do good things, he's also not saying, hey, we've made it to the promised land. They got it. But he has immense patience with us that is built out of the love that he has for us. Then we look at David, David was a man who, due to his lust and his covetous for another man's wife, had that man killed. Okay, he had that man killed. Then he took that wife as his own. He murdered because of the lust and the covetous in his heart. And this is well into his relationship with God. This isn't David the new believer. This is David been walking with God for a very, very, very long time. This is David had having already been delivered from the original King Saul who sought to take his life. This is David who was blessed and made king and set up as a leader. This is David who God said is a man after my own heart. And yet deep into his relationship with God, he sinned in such a tremendous way. Then in 2 Samuel 12, Nathan confronts David with his sin. David repents, but yet if you read that chapter, you see that there's still consequences for his actions. Facing consequences for sin doesn't mean that God is displeased with you. It means that you are receiving a just punishment for the wrong that you've done. Okay, Facing punishment for sin doesn't mean that God is going to damn you to hell. Why? Because we see in that same chapter that David was forgiven. It just means that we face the consequences for our actions in the way that we deserve. If we look in 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in body, but made alive in the Spirit. Christ suffered for the unrighteous. Christ suffered for the unrighteous. He wasn't trying to win for the righteous. He suffered for the unrighteous. That's extremely important. Why? Because God does not attach your worth to your righteousness. Hear me on that. God does not attach your worth to your righteousness. Despite your sin, he wants you anyways. He doesn't say, hey, this person sins less, so they're worth more to me. That person sinned a lot more, so now they're worth less. It doesn't equate that way. It doesn't equate that way. God looks at you and he says, hey, this is the greatest of my creation. This is the greatest of my creation. That was one of the things that hit me while I was at the beach too. We were out one night and we were doing worship on the beach and I just started looking around. You could hear the waves crashing in, which I have to tell you is pretty awesome, really peaceful, right? The the sky is just pitch black. There were these big billowy clouds in the sky, but you could also see the stars shining through. And there's all this magnificence of God. And I started thinking about the mountains and Grand Canyon and just like the different things in our world that make you literally say, wow. And yet with all of that, God calls us the greatest of his creation. With all of that, you're still number one. So here's the thing. This is the thing you have to hold on to and you have to know. Our sin, It's treatable. Our sin its treatable. God doesn't come in, diagnose us, and say, there's the garbage pail, right? There's the trash can. Go ahead and hop in. You're done. Our sin is treatable, and He knows that. Our worth is in the fact that we are His creation. Our value is being the creation of God, okay? It's being made like Christ, not in how perfect we are but in how perfect God will make us. God loves us because we're his. Don't let your struggle be a definition of who you are. Don't allow your sin to define your actions, your personality, your day-to-day feelings, and how you feel about your relationship with God. We can look at ourselves two ways. Imagine your name in a dictionary, right? Paul Huffed. Now, I can look at that and I can say, definition, sinner. Or I can look at my name and I can say, son of the living God. And our perspective is ultimately important with how we view ourselves and how we view our relationship with God. God wants to bless us, not condemn us. Okay? God wants to bless us, not condemn condemn us. Too many of us act like God is just waiting for us to fail. Like he enjoys being able to punish us. Like he enjoys tripping us up. And that's just not the case. It's just not how God works. And it's all about perspective. See, I've used this uh, before. Too many of us see God as the bully kid with the magnifying glass and view ourselves as the ants, right? Like he's just holding it over, waiting for us to come in the light so he can burn us. What we really need to view God as is the person who's going to stop four lanes of traffic on a major interstate to save the life of a kitten, right? Where you're the kitten, in case you were wondering. But it's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. How do you view God? If you view him Through the lens of scripture, you see a God who loves you, who wants you with him, who puts you first, who wants to bless you, but will punish you and hold you accountable as a last resort. If you are a parent or a teacher or you've ever dealt with little kids whatsoever, you know exactly how this feels, right? You want what's best for that child. You want them to be blessed. You want them to be happy. You want them to have a good life. But eventually, enough becomes enough, right? You're hoping by like strike three, they get it in their head that their behavior needs to change. Luckily for us, God doesn't have a strike system. Forgiveness is forgiveness whenever we ask for it. As long as the heart is true and the intent is pure. But we punish and we correct behavior as a last resort. We would prefer things to be sunshine and rainbows and for us to all get along and smiles and laughter to always be the case. Sometimes we have to give a stern look. We have to take a toy away or we have to give a spank. Now I realize some of you aren't spankers. That's fine. You do you. Having said that, we all know what it feels like to have to withhold from a child that we love or a young person that we love or a, a friend or a coworker God will hold you accountable for your sin yes and if you never reconcile the wrongs that you've done in your life if you never repent of that if you never seek Jesus and seek the kingdom of God first if you never make that your number one priority then yes, condemnation, hell, is that punishment. It's there. Nothing I'm saying today is belittling the disgustingness of sin. But what I want you to know is that in spite of your sin, God's view of you stays the same. God's view of you stays the same. And God is always that Father with open arms waiting for you to turn back around and come get that hug. And if we can really grasp this, if we can really understand this, then we have a breakthrough. Ephesians 1 through 3. Praise be to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I already told you this, but our relationship with God is all about perspective. How do you see Him? How do you see him? Know that God wants to bless you and will do so immensely and seeks to do that first. And this isn't prosperity gospel. I'm not telling you that you're going to get a big house and lots of money and a fancy car. Maybe that will happen for you. Great. But God will be on your side. God will make sure your needs are provided for. Okay? He doesn't sway back and forth. There's one time in scripture that I can think of that God really says, I'm done with you. And it's, hey, if you rebuke me, then I'll rebuke you. And it's one of those things where if you say, there is no God, God, you're not real, God, I want nothing to do with you, then he respects your wishes. But even after that, the love is still there. Up until our very last breath, forgiveness is ours. And God always wants to bless you before he wants to condemn you. And he does not sway back and forth with your success and your failure. He is constant. He is constant. Jeremiah nine twenty four, But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Final thing I want to leave you with. It's my favorite verse in all of Scripture. It's in John ten twenty-eight. It says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. You know a great exercise for when you're struggling? Read this verse to yourself while you're looking in a mirror. Because you're you're part of that no one. You're part of that no one. If you have a real relationship with God, outside of just totally rebuking him, He's got his hands on you and you're his and he's claiming ownership today. So just know that despite of how you feel, whether you feel up or you feel down, God is there and that is a constant. Our feelings change. God never does. If you can hold on to that, that's a breakthrough. That's a breakthrough. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now and I lift up everyone in this room to you today. God, I pray that we all can grasp the understanding that regardless of how we feel about our day-to-day relationship with you, God, you are constant. And I know at times as a Christian, it's really easy in our sin to feel like you don't love us and it's really easy in our sin to feel like maybe you've turned your back on us or that we have somehow damned ourselves to hell. God, when we have placed our lives in your hands, when we repent and confess and believe and chase after the kingdom and you have your hands on us, there's nothing, no one that can take us out of that grasp. Ourselves included. Help us to be people who understand that you want to bless us first, who don't allow our day-to-day struggle to impact our view of who you are. You are not our sin. You are not our struggle. You are our Father who loves us, who is there arms wide open. I pray for your blessing on really everyone in this world, but on the people in this room today. On those of us who are traveling and elsewhere, God, I pray that your presence just hover over their life and that you allow them to see that it is constant. That you never fail. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.